Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Sorry about the little uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Hot, 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 oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. viewers, welcome to Radio Hot Lap, episode 130. Here we are, on the way to Bathurst, Le Fogois and Moi. Hello mate. John, how are you? Pretty good. This is a different little journey we're embarking upon, isn't it? It's, uh, it's quite nice, and we've just found out some um, very interesting news. 12,000 people is the minimum requirement for a McDonald's to be in a town. And here we are passing through Grenfell, which is about a couple of hours away to the southwest of Bathurst. A lovely little town too, isn't it? A very typical New South Wales country town. I always think New South Wales country towns actually look like you imagine country towns should. They've got big wide streets, lots of, I don't know, 19th century buildings, you know. A lot of our good old architecture, but it's interesting that you found out about how many people are required in the town to get a, to get a McDonald's. Because earlier on this trip, I had remarked that since we came over the border from Victoria to New, to New South Wales at Tokenwall, I hadn't seen any McDonald's, which seemed extraordinary because most of the time, travelling around, they seem to be everywhere and anywhere. So that explains it. So we won't see a McDonald's until we actually get to. Bathurst within sight of Mount Panorama. 161 kilometres it is. To go, yes. And then you'll be able to get your daily, your now daily fix, I gather, of the new McDonald's um, Angus Burger. <laughs> More about that in a minute, viewers, while I just secure the hatch that I have neglected to ah. secure earlier. Right. Talk amongst yourself. Yeah. Well, there goes Hardy to close the hatch on our vehicle for this trip, which is an HSV R8 Club Sport Tourer, the latest E-Series 2 version, with a little bit of uh, fruit on it that qualifies it for the badge on the back that says it's SV Enhanced. That's right. It's got the bimodal exhaust. Sponsored by Jezza Airways. <laughs> and certified. That's right, we've stickered her up just for the big race. What other options has this got? It's got the big 20-inch wheel and tyre package and probably some other little goodies that I haven't found yet. It is a good unit, actually. Um, I've driven it, what, to two or 300 k's this morning and give it a rev. Like, it, I mean, it's stretching its legs in second gear um, and it really comes on high, hard, like high up in the rev range. So, um, just, you know, it likes, it likes to rev for a big V8. HSVs are good things. The only unfortunate thing is that when you're just cruising around, normal day-to-day -day driving, it feels very lazy, very comfortable, any HSV does, but you get no inkling of their true capability. It's really only when you get really stuck in hard, which means, of course, legally and responsibly, you can only do that at a closed private venue. You can't do it on the public road, of course. But when you ever get the opportunity to really extend an HSV, suddenly their, their breeding and their true capability becomes very apparent and almost a, a different vehicle because a lot of the time roaming around town in an HSV you often wonder well why would you bother why wouldn't you just get say a Commodore SS V8 because around town it does much the same but if you ever get the chance to unleash the beast inside an HSV you'll suddenly realize uh, what the difference really is so uh, Onward to Bathurst and the super cheap auto 1000 this weekend. Radio Hot Lap, that light-hearted and zany podcast that takes a look at motor racing, local and international, cool emerging technology, barbecues and roadkill specials. Because there's been a few. We have seen a few uh, ex-animals on the road. <laughs> they get cleaned up by the big road trains, the trucks. 
so a bit unfortunate for them, but none of them have hit us, so and that's you know the what happens to the road trains when they hit the animals? Well, they wouldn't even bleed, Absolutely would they? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, wouldn't know. There's been a bit of brew culling, actually, on the mountain. 280 of the little beauties have ended up in uh, Tony Quinn's uh, dinner for dogs. Really? They have. For VIP pet foods. Correct. And, and at the same time, Tony's quickest around the mountain as the Australian GT Championship uh, fronts there for the first time for a long time. A full grid. Um, but not a single Ferrari, but there he is at the head of the pack in his um, Aston Martin DBR, DBS nine, I think it is, with the GT3 car that uh, he's been running for the last couple of seasons. Presumably, there's been an infestation of kangaroos around Mount Panorama because of the drought and they've come into into town you know in search of food and water I imagine. Well actually what's not to like about a talking ostrich. A talking ostrich. That's yes. what they were here for. Harry Connick Jr. thank you for that classic line. Yes uh, the morning news has brought uh, it to us. I mean what could be more iconic folks than driving to the world's greatest touring car race, arguably, well, definitely the greatest V8-only touring car race, across a great land with great weather in a very high-spec representation of Australia's greatest vehicle. Sipping a Coke out of a glass bottle. That is extraordinary. I did not know that you could still buy Coca-Cola in a glass bottle, the old classic coke bottle shape and when we stopped at that little gas station in Grenfell which looked like it was caught in a time warp and had one maybe cent. maybe is it in a time warp and we bought old coke well it had one cent lollies as well yes. and whiz fizz and a sherbet fountain that are really good if you just eat the licorice and chuck the sherbet there was a time a long time ago where I would have thought that was um, that little shop was heaven straight after school mm. you'd be down there in fact when I was at school, I used to be able to buy, there was a Coke machine, and you could get a bottle of Coke, I think they were about 285 mil or something back then, for 10 cents. And you'd put the money in and it'd slide it down the rack and then it'd come up through the jaws. Yes. Then I'd take a, a bottle after I'd finished it on the way home in the bus into the shop at uh, Camaray and get five cents back That's two right. days in a row. I'd end up having a free bottle and then the third day I'd have five cents worth of lollies and that was a huge bag of lollies green frogs were half a cent or something like that half a cent two no they didn't do half a cent they were two for a cent well twenty cents would buy you a big bag of lollies in my day that's quite true we're starting to sound like our parents remember that our parents would tell us that oh in my day for a penny you know, when I was a boy you, you know <laughs> they used to drag home a sack of lollies apparently for one penny those were the days. Oh, oh, and they're coming back to... They say you get more childlike as you get older. Apparently I'm so. I'm starting to see it in you. <laughs> Thanks. Where did we stay last night? This is important for the viewers to know. Narandera. And boy, were we lucky with the restaurants. <laughs> of course, not. we made... Not. <laughs> we, made the, we made the clever uh, choice of um, driving to Narandera, arriving about 20 to... Nine, doing a quick recce to find out where the Chinese restaurant were because we'd had a general consensus that Chinese was the go and uh, there were two but one we found out to be unlicensed so we'd secured the car at the uh, very comfortable and uh, friendly motor inn right there smack bang in the centre of town a very wide centre of town to then disappear up to the, uh, the Chinese as recommended by our host um, who said, oh, they'll be open for ages. Well, everything was shut. It was just shut. Went into the pub. Well, just turned everything off. Well, there's about 50 people eating there, and some of them were only just starting to hoe into their steaks. So how come it was suddenly off? Look, there's a... Look over there, folks. It looks like a agricultural... It's like a mini egg quid. Yeah. It's a... a combine harvester muster <laughs> they're all gathering there to do uh, donuts with their uh, implements their powered implements you'd be surprised that is a bluetooth combine harvester meeting they're all just pairing up with each other uh, and swapping 
you know, tricks and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's not oblivious to the to technology. That's why they have to get together because there's no internet or phone connection. Even though there was a sign there saying "Welcome to Telstra Country." So it is indeed wireless then. It's a Bluetooth land yeah. going on there, and they're pairing up to each other. Completely wireless. That's and, right. And clueless. <laughs> this is uh, quite great. Shall we finish the riveting story oh, the about dinner last oh, night? Yes, yes. We'll go on. You, no, you, no, you do. Oh, so then we went uh, to the down to the ground, running down to the next Chinese, which we were already warned was unlicensed. Worryingly, we walked in to find no one there, but a scraping of locks could be heard in the background, and um, and. Um, the bloke had been there for at least 25 years, he couldn't speak a word of English, and was very unsure about his own menu, was um, very happy to provide us with a sumptuous meal. In fact, it was huge for the money. It was... It, it was, was extremely good value. Um, there was lots of it, and it wasn't bad Chinese tucker, actually. It was good Chinese tucker, especially yeah. for inland Chinese yeah. tucker. And but we were yeah. able to turn it into an impromptu BYO joint, so... We did. We went, in uh, the end, all was, all was good. With, and a nice little sneaky penfolds that I did tell you about the dusties you find out here that right. you just... They don't understand the value of $22 for a very good old penfolds. A couple of good drops. What was it? The Shiraz Cabernet. The girl did look at us like, uh-oh, here's a bunch of goobers. <laughs> <laughs> what well, we haven't had anyone order red wine around here for a while. <laughs> Two single blokes walking into a New South Wales country pub and ordering red wine. Well, they thought that was a bit sus, I'm sure. Can I have a bit of lemon and more Corona? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was all pretty good. Anyway. And you may be wondering, viewers, why we've embarked on this not-so-epic tour to Bathurst. Well, the main reason is we got the use of a flash car to come up and out of Melbourne because Hardy came over from Adelaide in the, in the far western suburbs of Melbourne um, to join up for this trip <laughs> but it's quick it actually ends up well normally it would end up being quicker than flying to Sydney renting a car and then driving three odd hours to Bathurst which is door a very to, boring drive yeah, door to door it's about the same well it would have been if we would got away at a reasonable hour yesterday but which was my fault, of course, because I had a deadline to meet and some work to finish before but there I was left. Sydney Operation Snafus. We won't go into that. <laughs> For fear of them listening. I just, yes, I just <laughs> couldn't leave until I finished, so we didn't get away until, what, about three o'clock in the afternoon? And that's right, and uh, so by that time... we decided to, in the end, break the journey overnight and uh, also go the back way, so we've gone up through Shepparton across the Murray at Tokenwall and then basically up the Newell Highway. Free beers at the Tokenwall pub. Were they free? Absolutely, because he tossed them. He tossed and I won the toss, so they were free beers. Well done. Yeah, because he said it's a variation on happy hour. Ah. So the boss toss and I won and we got free beer each. And pleasant conversation with the two locals outside on the veranda discussing... Um, driving in the area and they were fascinated by the uh, HSV Club Sport Tourer. They were and that's when they did seem to be that but uh, after they recognised that you were an, an individual of importance to them um, that they could uh, actually distinguish between police that would be nastier on DUI as opposed to speeding. They did. Because those guys had had a few jars and they were just waiting to figure out which way to get home. They wanted to know which way the cop had driven out of town, which oddly we were able to inform them. So they were quite happy because he went in the opposite direction to where they were going. Settling in for another one, he said. Life is different out in the country, isn't it? Oh, it was very, it was, oh, but very it's nice, pleasant. isn't it? Yeah, yeah no, very I, pleasant. I think it's a way to see things. And this drive, the back way, following the Newell Highway and then eventually joining up to the Midwestern Highway to get to Bathurst. We're sort of coming in the back door of Bathurst. That's right. In fact, over the Great Dividing Range, which is a very nice rolling undulating uh, bit of scenery and with a few corners it's more like the, the great dividing hillock out here isn't it really that's right did we really come over the great dividing range yeah well of course when was that we'll be no good. that was way back in victoria this no, is not the great dividing it range is so go and have a look at your maps never was yeah, absolutely it's not nah. nah. 35 to cowra <laughs> <laughs> um, that's cowering. You do. 
the land of a good Chardonnay. They'll car a Chardonnay, viewers, out here. That would be very good for a bit of a, um, a barbecue. Yes, it's three o'clock. We couldn't get away before three yeah. o'clock, and by that time, I um, think they'd have many Japanese tourists in Cowra. The uh, these why? days, history, the Cowra breakout. Oh, I don't know. Japanese POWs. Oh, right. Do you think? Okay. All made a run for it. Yeah. In Cowra. Didn't end well. Yes. Oh. It's right. quite famous. Okay, so my attempt, my attempt at a bit of levity there fell entirely flat. Well, my history on that was uh, not, uh, not so strong. Did they bring all the Japanese prisoners that they caught at Darwin down here? That I don't know where yeah, they came they from. No, they might have, I think they were interned. They were Japanese people who were interned ah, for the duration of the war. It's like the underground. Met, met, the <laughs> Japanese underground operating in Australia. No, no, no. The authorities put them away because they were seen to be a security risk. I, I'm gathering that bit I don't know, so you're stretching it. Here's a security risk, a lunatic out in the main road, you know. This car, look, sixth gear at 40 kilometres an hour, and it just, it just... Oh, it's got plenty of front, lots, oh, yeah. of, lots of torques. <laughs> Not as much as the Audi R8 electric car, 4500, thank you very <laughs> no. much. we've discussed it. Yeah. Anyway, so, having left late, staying overnight, that's how we end up still being on the road to Bathurst. It didn't bode well with sunny me. Morning. After, because by that time, the great Angus had settled into the lower parts of my stomach and, and tiredness was sort of sweeping in. You weren't your usual, usual ebullient self. <laughs> Jovial self. Enough of this unnecessary banter. And let's focus on Bathurst, mate, because um, I'm hoping it's going to be a goodie. And I have to say, straight up, I hope Triple Eight, the Triple Eight, the lead car goes out early. I know you might think that's, that's a very bit harsh. But no, I just wanted to make it a bit more interesting, and I'd like to see, you know, the team pour all their efforts into Alan Simonson and James Thompson, and and see if they can, Roland can sort of find some very very, you know, white text on white paper that says that actually you can swap the drivers over. Well, the days of driver swapping. Yes. Cross car, swa car swapping. <laughs> Wife swapping. Back in the day, yes. It would be no, good for Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup to win a record fourth Bathurst 1000 in a row. And, I mean, that would be a huge feat. And they're entirely capable of doing it. At, you know, car, team, drivers. But I just, think, I just think the odds of them stretching it to four in a row are very long. There's going to be hot competition, particularly from the lead Holden Racing Team car of Garth Tander and Will Davison. Provided it gets off the line without a blown clutch. Of course. Well, Mark Scaife's not driving it anymore, so it's got a good, probably got a good chance of getting away cleanly. Or well, Jack Perkins having a bit of a moment halfway up. <laughs> That's right. So... Not that we want to relive the past. Those two lead Triple Eight and HRT cars, respectively, you know, they're, they're basically fighting out the championship anyway, so reasonably they'd be expected to continue that battle here. But there's probably at least half a dozen other combinations, beginning with Mark Winterbottom and Stephen Richards and particularly James Courtney and Stephen Johnson in the Jim Beam Falcon, um, who should be uh, very strong threats. All assuming, of course, that nothing goes wrong, either with any of the cars, of course, but more likely um, we're due for a profusion of safety cars, we're due for a bit of uh, weather chaos, and I hope there's we're a bit just of weather due... chaos, because it always ends up coming yeah. back to a 10-lap sprint. Yes, that's right, it's a lot of fun. But, and there's bound to be some stupidity, you know, someone's going to, uh, you know, fall off the track somewhere and make a mess. Particularly as there, um, you know, there are a few rookies and rookie combinations at the track this year, and some of the top drivers are, have already expressed reservations, concerns, actually, you know, about how the uh, the new boys will behave and whether they'll uh, get in the way or, you know, cause some sort of chaos. That's um, always a possibility. So the the possibilities, in fact, are almost endless. Uh, and we can hope that this will be a ripping race and it will be hotly contested. 
having said that, of course, wind cup and lows are just going to blast off and disappear into the, into the distance. The um, most likely, I'm, they're doing a bit of betting this year, and we don't want to get into talking about betting. But I think since they are doing it, they should actually have a uh, a bet for the least attractive driver pairing. And, um, you know, well, if I was betting it... A few, few candidates there. I would be putting my money on Mark Noski, definitely as the lead, least... Um, Attractive. Person. person. Um, and and uh, Barks. Jason Barguana. But Barks makes up for his... His... his uh, He's almost Yoda-like, isn't he? <laughs> He's humorous. Yeah. And, and, there's, and there's been some bad pictures of, of the... Um, all the drivers taken on against that mottled background, obviously uh, Mark or Horsley has been taken them. and uh, uh, but Paul Morris is is not is looking rotunder than usual. Yes, he's been eating well since his retirement from full time racing. Yeah, there are, there's a few combinations in there that one truthfully has to say are not oil paintings. I think that's <laughs> one way of putting it. Who else? It. Who else would you be putting your money on? Go there. Oh, come that, on. No, yeah, that's not Because you're too well known for this sort of stuff. You can't no, be so. No, I, I, I think that's harsh and hurtful well, we didn't and, say. And, and, and beneath us, really. I mean, when have, we, when have we ever been known to stoop to poking fun at people? Or asking the hard questions. You can ask the hard questions, but you can't say the hard answers. That's it, isn't it? Is that what you call disingenuous? Betting, by the way. What's on... not to like about a laughing, a laughing ostrich? A talk, a talk, a talking a ostrich. ostrich. We spent a lot of time making them into non-buffoons. Yes. Betting on V8 supercar races is not new, by the way. What's new this year is that V8 supercars has a sponsorship deal with uh, V8Bet.com.au, I guess, and I don't know why I'm plugging them. But you've been able to um, put bets on yeah, V8 supercar races um, through those uh, the Northern Territory based, those you know central central betting agencies. I'm not really heavily into gambling, so I don't know a lot about it. But I do know you've been able to get odds on V8 supercar races, particularly Bathurst, for some years now. So in itself, it's not new. I won't have a bar of it. I just don't think it's cricket, really. Is it? I'm just not interested. Uh, well, it, it could, you know, if it ever really took it off, it, it certainly opens up a, possibly a can of worms, and uh, particularly in light of the Renault race fix scandal in Formula One. Look, there are other podcasts dedicated to this subject, and then we don't need to be opening that. Of, should you be wishing to listen to it, you'll find it. It's out there somewhere. Mm. But anyway, I mean... Promoted by a man with big hair. We're... <laughs> We're just the last in a very, very long line of prognosticators who've been discussing <laughs> what pro- may or may not happen in the Bathurst 1000 this weekend. I think that topic is just about exhausted. We know who the, the usual suspects are. We know who's going to be uh, uh, looking to set the pace. So why don't we just sit back and enjoy the qualifying battle, then the top 10 shootout, and then the big race. It's, like, we'll, Grand- we'll, it's like Groundhog Day, because... That's what the, uh, the little chipmunk said. He was the, the seer of seers, prognosticators of prognosticators. What was his name? What's the name of the... Uh, I don't know. He was a groundhog. He, well, yeah, but him, what was the... What was the... <laughs> Punce tawny film. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's very good memory. Uh, welcome. Cowra, welcome to Chardonnay Country. Cowra Shire. That's yeah. a nice view, isn't it? Now, folks, this, this little uh, beast here, it's, it's as, long as, as long as Russ, the sausage dog, isn't it? And possibly longer, and it just pulls up hills effortlessly. It's actually a lovely car to drive. It's no longer than a an ordinary Commodore sedan. Well, it's got it's not, plenty it's, of space. It's a sport. It's the Tourer, which is a, based on the Commodore Sports Wagon. But unlike previous Commodore station wagons, it's not based on the long wheelbase um, derivative. So the you know, it's not based on the platform for the statesman and the caprice. This is based on the same, on the short wheelbase variation, if you like. So um, it's interesting that you think it looks long because it's no longer than the normal sedan, but it's got a ton of space. I mean, we've packed all our gear in the back and uh, 
Still got room for hitchhikers? Yeah, room for a big party in the back there. The, the girls would enjoy that big time. And, and, but yeah, absolutely. Now, what about the form for the race, mate? What, uh, seriously? What, what, what's the go? I thought we just discussed it. Who was but going we have to, to be go contenders? Into, but we have to go into more depth. Do we? Why? Well, I mean, you know, people are sick of hearing about this okay, already. Well, For weeks, it's been going on. That's what I just said. Oh, well, then. What will be interesting? What? Is the pit stop strategy? Oh. Because instead of being four or five stops, as it's been for the last however umpteen years, because of the switch to E85 ethanol fuel, that is a mix of 85% ethanol and 15% um, premium unleaded, they get roughly the same power out of this new fuel, but fuel consumption is a lot is about 30 odd percent higher. So they're going to have to stop for gas more often is the simple uh, fact there. So instead of being four or maybe a fifth split, you know, splash pit stop for fuel, they're now looking at um, six to seven, I think. Um, maybe even eight, but certainly six to seven stops. So the race, more than ever, is going to be broken up into a series of little, of basically sprint races. So slick pit stops and being right on it between the stops is going to be key to this race if it's uninterrupted. Um, Which it never certainly, is. <laughs> certainly the days of, you know, of cruising along and having lunchtime drivers is, is well and truly gone and this year, this year more than ever. What Peter um, Chance? It's, it's going, to be, going to be flat out. Yes, back in the day of the gentleman racer. Well, actually, Peter Chance was, was, a... was not a lunchtime driver because he was always doing lunch. At lunchtime. He did lunch very he did, well. He, did. <laughs> he was actually a pretty good steerer as well. So for a bloke who raced, you know, irregularly every year, he was uh, quite incredible. And given the consumption of alcohol during the, the, that he consumed when he wasn't racing, it's amazing he had the physical stamina to do it. But Living he at the did. Windsor Hotel, no less. He used to, up at the top, on the top floor, the penthouse level. Those were the days. Or the Mr. Chicken Eat Chicken. He used to, Graham Bailey. Graham Bailey. He used to have to come in and, you know, get the lunches ready for everyone. All those chicken sambas for the media centre. Not like these days, where you've got to get in there early and thaw your roll out that was made a couple of days ago. You know, That's you right. Get the cow in penitentiary. So the pit stop strategy, because of the new, uh, the different fuel they're using, will be interesting and introduce another element into the whole uh, battle. And you have the most experienced combination and most successful one in the race in terms of two drivers who've won the race most often. I'm speaking of Greg Murphy and Mark Scape. Nine Bathurst 1000 victories between them and so far a combined 38 starts. They're expecting big things in the sprint gas racing Commodore. Um, last year Greg Murphy went like a rocket in that car the only time he did all year and uh, finished a strong second behind Lowndes and Wind Cup with Jason Richards. This year he's been paired up with Mark Scaife, as we know. Scaife making a temporary comeback for the endurance races. They finished 11th at Phillip Island. Um, never really looked like frightening everyone, anyone there, but they're much more confident coming to Bathurst that their accumulated wisdom and experience uh, will put them in contention. Um, in fact, they both believe that they deserve to be ranked among the top 10 leading contenders for the race. That partnership um, could go either way. It could be incredibly successful and it could be very strong or just as likely um, you'll hardly see them all day. In fact, although of course you will see them all day on the telecast because Mark Scaife's in the car so Channel 7 will be constantly showing him and crossing to him so there's uh, no danger that Murph and Scaife will, uh, will get lost in the crowd of the Bathurst tele telecast. A little flutter there from the bimodal exhaust as we overtook that car taking the technology straight from the Ferrari 599 or perhaps the other way around um, it's an interesting system and basically it's a, a vacuum valve that has a certain pressure certain revs um, it just it opens up the exhaust so it makes it noisier so um, when you stick your foot your boot in and have a go as you as you were suggesting then um, you get a fruitier 
<laughs> that's not really the word, is it? You, you get a louder exhaust note, and uh, it's a bit sharper, um, and that's uh, an interesting bit of technology. It's pretty simple, but it just means that around town, you know, the car's quiet and doesn't um, threaten any um, uh, threaten to break any noise regulations. But um, on the odd occasion, you want to um, get stuck in. She barks. Yeah. The uh, ethanol fuel delivery system, I believe, this year is uh, is not measured by volume. It's actually you have to you have to look at it by a, like a, a glass measuring tube down the side. Is that right? You can't meter it. Uh, basically, that's true. Yes. So they have to do. Are they doing it by a specific weight, or they they weigh they weigh the they weigh the amount of, of fuel um, in the in the holding in the rig churn, in, the or fuel in the rig, rig. and then they know due to the specific gravity of that liquid what you know one litre is and then they they watch for the weight to come down and then they go they've okay got, she's full they've got a pretty they've got a pretty good idea of the flow rate um and they and they worked it out from there so they're, they're pretty they know how much fuel they are or are not putting in and uh, where are we going with that by the oh, way no, I was just, Rounding off the issue of the 85, you know, just sort of filling in a little bit of fluff in the middle of a podcast while I, while I thought of something else to talk about. We, we can talk about mids. We want to talk mids. about mids. Why are we talking about mids? Mids. Oh, mids. Mids and mobile. Mid? mobile. What's mids? Mobile internet devices. Ah. We could talk about that. Well, I can I'm, tell you about mobile. And what are they? Well, I'll tell you about, I've had a bit of an experience. Is an iPhone a mobile internet device? Well, I suppose it is, but it's more a smartphone. Uh, a mobile internet device emits a generic term for a, uh, a, a an internet-capable laptop or a, or a little netbook or something like that. But um, we could talk about that, but it's pretty boring. Um, but bleeding onto smartphones, which takes you to the iPhone, um, I got a new one, my third one, uh, arrived this week from Apple, uh, again under, under warranty, because the last one, which I updated for 3.1, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, had Phillip Island and uh, got blocked, thanks to Big Pond, um, on, the, on the download, or rather not the download, but then the authorization of putting the new software in, the thing shat itself, and I really sort of had trouble with it after that, they sent me a new one, back to the old operating system 301, and it's all good, <clears throat> it's all good, and nicely protected by my new genuine carbon fibre cover. Very flesh it is too. You're jealous, aren't you? Mildly. I'm not. Mildly. I'm not deeply in love with it. But Chardonnay grapes. It does look good. This is a lovely, it's a lovely day for it too, isn't it? Look. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. It's um, quite a long afternoon there at the mountain. You're not sure if you've got much to do. It goes on and on and on, the qualifying. The cellar doors are open. It's five past eleven, and you're getting a bit of a, a bit of a taste. Is the sun past the yard? Um, it's, it's, it's pretty much so. I wish I knew what that meant, but I guess it must be <laughs> somewhere, sometime. Now it would I be nice to just stop and um, have a sample of. It will if we find some local uh, wine, but I don't. We don't have time. We have to get to Bathurst. Yeah, we better get to Bathurst because you've got to get you. Soggy roll. Yes. Out of the, out, out, out of the fridge. But now, we put, we're restricted to one slab each. <laughs> yeah. Nobody can take more than one slab in a, a day, one slab each a day, into Mount Panorama. I thought Jamie Wincup was a bit, um, a little bit condescending there with your comment on the radio the other day, because he was saying that he was interested to see how the population on the hill would be able to be dealing with the one slab per user per day policy, and he, so going on to say, look, one slab would last me for the day, but most of them on the hill would be done with that by 10am. I was thinking to myself, that's a bit of an assumption, that they're all just complete drunks up there. Can't understand where, where he would have ever got that impression. But, I mean, what? <laughs> I, I People up on, the hill, up on the hill over imbibing? No, get out of it. I couldn't drink a, I couldn't drink a six pack. But what about, no. is it a slab of, like, spirits as well? Well, slabs are slabs. And how do they how do they do it? Like, do they let people out with a slab docket and then they come back in? Or does the slab truck come out around and reissue? 
you pre-buy and then you get delivery. I don't know. Day. Maybe that's something we should investigate. Well, I think it's it's important the to know. The viewers need to know this. What, what sort of policing's going on? And I think that uh, we could uncover Slabgate. <laughs> Look, you've already been caned in AA for using the word gate too much. Me personally? No, not you personally, but someone did say, "Look, stop." You know, well, we gate gating. Well, I I agree that the term the so, abuse of the term is overused. It goes back to the Mixum. Woodward and Bernstein uncovering. What did they un- uncover? It was, it was well, Richard Nixon. Yeah, and yeah. Well, they they brought down Richard Nixon's presidency, but what did they uncover? Oh, basically, oh, I um, can't remember. But I mean, lying they... and corruption in in the United States government. Anyway, oh, it was the break-in. The break-in. You've got to watch that Tom Hanks movie, and then you'll you'll know all about how it all works. It was the break-in to an office in a building, which is actually mainly. Um, it's a hotel, isn't it? And a, an apartment complex called Watergate in Washington, D.C. So thereafter, every scandal gets dubbed something gate after Watergate, yes, which, is actually, yes. which is actually a place. So it's being corrupted. Gate. <laughs> we had, you did have Ute. Ute Gate was going on while I was overseas earlier this year, which is a silly one. So, yes, we had Lying Liar Gate or Lying Gate, the incident. Melbourne Grand Prix between Lewis Hamilton and Yano Truly. And, and these are all, all motor-related yeah. gates as well. And what was... The, so the, the latest one was... What was it? I don't know. In the Singapore Grand Prix. Crashgate. Crashgate, I suppose it was, yes. So the, the term has become abused and overused, so I think the, the correspondence to auto action was right on the money. It's been totally case. ruled out of being used uh, with anything to do with Microsoft products. The obvious reason. Bill Gate. We'll get into plural. Gates, 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 Gate. Yes. Um, yes, which was leading me on to say, now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, barbecues. Perhaps, Fogwar, we should go to the hill with a, a, a mini slabbage and uh, and just get. What's that? McDonald's. 12,000 Finally. Oh, look, and it's, isn't that the prettiest McDonald's you've ever seen? It's, um, Do you want to go in? Country style. Oh, I think we should check it out. Look, it's huge. No, that's not the McDonald's. Actually. It's the Japanese the, the gardens. Pretty, the pretty looking ones. Look like <laughs> McDonald's. So, Cowra. Finally, we've got to Cowra. This is the first town we've come across since the Murray River, so since what? the border, that uh, has a McDonald's. Not that we're getting excited about that, but it just seemed odd. Should we go to the hill? Back to the hill. And check out this one. There's a little hill here. Barbecues and couches. Oh, this train line. I love trains. I love trains. Yes. I don't, uh, I don't think it's being used because there's no, because all stuff growing over it, and we've just driven over the closed part of it. Yeah, but <laughs> well, so many of the train lines in in outback Australia have progressively progressively been closed over the years, and uh, there's just a sad and silent remainder of. Um, much better times. Look at that beautiful old bridge there. I mean, it's just a stony pulling it down, but I'm glad they've left it there. So we pass the Cowra Hotel with look, lunch special cutlets for five dollars. Oh, folks, there's nothing better than some country crumbed lamb cutlets with gravy. You're licking your lips, aren't you? And just at the moment, we were talking about um, talking about going up the hill and seeing some barbecue stuff, and we'll do a little podcast up there. What do you think? Make some genuine. Hardcore but very friendly Australian. I'm not going up there. What are you mad? <laughs> you go to you sing Chinese. They eat their own young up there. <laughs> I'm not going up to the top of the mountain. I've never come back. You could go in the sky. Well, that's that's the reputation that those people what, there have, and I think it's a rubbish. big myth. They're it actually totally quite mythical. nice people. It's I'm not sure if you're allowed to have couches up there anymore. I don't think they let you take. It's not the Easter bike races. Of riots, which were a long time ago. That's right. As well, more than twenty years ago. Driving through the main street of Cowra, some uh, very nice uh, architecture, and then some very unusual architecture, which is does the same style out of place. Seems a bit more lively. Why did these unusual? T- why didn't you just say ugly? Why didn't these? Why did these country towns have such forethought to have wide streets? That's a good question. 
back in the horse and buggy and horse and cart days, you wouldn't have thought they'd needed so much width, although maybe they had in really busy times. In peak hour, lots of uh, horse-drawn conveyances, so they left them plenty of room. A horse and cart would be Perhaps very hard to park, particularly circles. reverse parallel, you know, reverse um, parallel parking. Is it parallel parking or they call the parking here you've got a 45 degree parking. 40 degree that's, that's it that would be di- that would be difficult with a stagecoach I would imagine but I really don't know if that's the reason why the streets are all so wide but it does seem to, to suggest remarkable forethought by our forebears our forefathers and the forefathers before and them. the forebears I'd hate to think that the uh, you know the traffic or the parking police are going to become as overzealous here, the railway stations for lease. Look at that. But this looks, there's some shiny tracks there, folks. Is there? So that is a uh, indication that there's been a bit of activity on these tracks, and uh, one doesn't need to put their ear to the rail as they do in the old cowboy movies to find out if the steam train's coming around the mountain to Petticoat Junction. This does look like some freight trains do use this. There's, there's a multiple heap, lines there. There's a heap of shunting been going on. Big part. Uh, there's been a heap of shunting going on. Ah. Um, yeah, we, do you think that the Is the this parking... possibly the most pointless show we've ever done, <laughs> by the know. way? I, I just I... thought I'd make that observation that oh, we really are struggling for thinking. killing time while we're driving <laughs> to Bathurst. That's <laughs> purely it, isn't it? And we're now going to subject the viewers to this prattle. <laughs> it's, it's the Seinfeldness of it, you know? It, in, it is indeed a show about nothing. <laughs> That's right, but we don't claim it to be anything else. But we like to think, the viewers, that we're bringing you with us on the journey. You're sharing the experience with us. Over Do the you way. feel that way, viewers? <laughs> but viewers love I heard that. <laughs> you in the back. Do you think, he started for the third time, that the uh, parking police would become as overzealous with their parking and booking of people in a town like this having to go and get a protractor to work out whether the 45 degree angle was complied with much like the traffic police are now fining you for screeching wheels at the lights I doubt it I think they're a little more relaxed in these parts than they are in the city but you never know maybe some revenue might be zealous councillors of uh, put the parking wards out there with strict instructions of uh, complete enforcement to, as you suggest, uh, top up the coffers, the council coffers. Wouldn't put it past them, but I would hope out here, where the people are generally much nicer and friendlier, that they wouldn't uh, stoop to such tactics. Microsoft has shown off a a possibly whole new uh, product range, um, codenamed Courier. It's um, a very interesting device. You'll be able to see uh, a video of it if you go to YouTube. Just type in Microsoft Courier demo. But essentially... But do we know this is for real? We don't know it's for real, other than it's a demonstration that that Microsoft has shown, which may be a vision. But um, as other people have suggested, much like a concept car at the Frankfurt Motor Show would be shown off, yet never built. It just, you know, it's salivates the possible the one to the possibilities well, it, but anyway basically it contains so you're suggesting it may be fictitious. a bit of blue sky thinking of and it's a package that contains elements of where microsoft are thinking this sort of device could go so it might be a you know a very wild and optimistic I think it's quite possible. Sort of device, but we're unlikely to see it all in one package, or do you think they are well, actually well, working if on we, this? If we describe the, let's describe the, 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 the vision of the product to the viewers. If you were to just take a, take a, like pick up an atlas and open it at the right at the centre, think of each page on each side as its own screen. So um, a complete touchscreen interface that uh, allows you to really interact in, in, in all sorts of ways that you've never really seen before. That it's not a pen-based solution, it's 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 fingers and you know gestures as you would use on the iPhone or now coming to coming to the PC which has been on Macintosh for a while, uh, the ability to do single uh, 
so it's a conductive touch screen. It's a it? capacitive, uh, capacitive sorry, yeah. touch touch screen. Yes, that's very good. You're picking up on all that technology. And you know, as, as other people suggest, I don't care whether it's resistive or capacitive, just as long as the experience is good. But uh, a completely new concept in um, pen-based computing, but like tablet computing. And let's hope that it is it is coming because that um, maybe that signals a whole new change of thinking from Microsoft that they want to start doing cool products because up till now I mean like there are you know they're a software company that builds framework and then hardware manufacturers license that and then add their own sort of touches to it so you, you see from you know whether Sony has a Veo range and, and then they put their Soniness or over the top of it, which actually can work quite nicely sometimes. Hewlett Packard the same, Lenovo, uh, Dell, uh, like it's sort of like it's like like skinning over the top, like a much like so AMG so, does to Mercedes. So it's like a two-page, if you like, two twin-screen um, tablet PC. Yeah. And presumably on it, this could be almost all things to all laptop computers in the sense that as well as all the other features that, that have been described, it presumably could also be an e-book. Absolutely. And also like maybe, a Kindle reader? Yes. And then when you turned it on its side, it could become um, like a netbook, couldn't it? Because the one screen could be a, converted into a keyboard. Well, that's right. And the it could other be a virtual is, is, full-size keyboard yeah. then come up there. I'm not sure how the tactile experience would go there, but, uh, but you know... No doubt, being a capacitive screen, it's probably better, folks, unless yeah. you have now learnt so well um, the ins and outs of capacitive versus resistive. Not but it's, it's interesting that this video showing this alleged Microsoft Microsoft courier device has been leaked or found, and and it's purported to be official. Microsoft vision is it that's been um, snuck out of the, the organization. I think, it's, I think it's been released properly out, you know, as like a controlled, a controlled leak. Controlled leak. Right. Um, and uh, perhaps it's it's just to inject a bit of interest into the community, which it certainly has, to substantiate that Microsoft is working on uh, a really cool tablet computing solution. You know, in light of the furfies coming out from Apple about. Their, uh, their, their tablet, which is definitely in the works, um, because in the last uh, week, Apple has hired one of its, rehired one of the most senior engineers uh, responsible for the Newton uh, development uh, from the, oh no, it's a Grand Angus McDonald's, a little bit fancy sign. <sighs> Not too long now. I'm rumbling. Spanish onions. But a little bit haphazard placement thereof and uh, much high like this, pickle density in certain corners. Much like this show really. <laughs> Depression. Find out more. You're not alone folks. <laughs> well it's a bit of an odd place to have it because when you're out here you're going isn't it nice to be out in the country? What's well, not, not to it... like about a talking ostrich? <laughs> That's right. I mean do they have ostriches in Australia or are they emus? Yeah emus. Well, why do we As have an American would say. Why do we have Aussie, Aussie ostrich? Ostrich, I don't know. You'd have to ask Ernie Carroll that. It's odd, isn't it? Controversy. If it's not Magda or Savansky. A or a controversy as well. Or it's not... What's his name from radio? Carl Sanderlin. We've forgotten about him already. The Magda one was... Daryl Sanderlin. It was bizarre. Shit. Well, I saw that Magda comment she had oh, about, about cyclists yeah and it was like as tame and lame as I can't believe the cyclists even knew about it much less got upset and what she said was entirely correct anyway just by the by do you think listeners the listeners of TV shows um, have got a little bit overly sensitive and just like you know sort of a bit like the Americans would just go I'm suing you I'm gonna sue see you in cart well, do, do they just do that now? Just like another example of political correctness gone mad. And I don't think it's necessarily the TV listeners, is it? It's well, commentators and um, do-gooders who are 
who you know hear about it more often than not don't even see it and they take up the cause and it gets suddenly recycled overnight and on talkback radio more often than not the next day is suddenly whipped up into um, a frenzy yeah a media a, a frenzy well it's made to be controversial and then suddenly it takes on a life of its own so I didn't see the second Hey Hey Saturday reunion where this um, comedy skit which funnily enough was done by a, a group of doctors the lead of which was uh, an Indian guy so it's a, a bit rich that he Taking and his group are being uh, accused of racism I didn't see it except in the, the news clips but I mean it was just clearly a joke no malice or harm intended whatsoever. And the reason we didn't see it, because uh, you, myself, and uh, none other than Kamara Mark, uh, were very busy writing little answers down on pieces of paper at the Royston Hotel for the Quizmania night under the, under the name of We Ate Stupid Cards. At which we were doing extremely well until we we absolutely DNF'd on the last on the last sector. Yeah, we went from third to get, at the halftime break to stone motherless last. And boy, did they actually tell us how good we were going and what happened? But you do you smell a controversy there as well. I have my doubts. I think because our int- our form where we filled in the answers. It was a bit messy, and I won't blame anyone for that, John. No, but it's very hard to Google the questions <laughs> and write them down in the dark, only to find that Wikipedia doesn't know the answer to prime numbers correctly. We would never do such a thing. Don't be silly. That's right. He's just joking. We wouldn't resort to using our wireless smartphones to find out answers. Come on, everybody. Put them in here. Put them in here. So I think... I think our answers, when the guy was going through marking the forms, I just don't think he followed our many arrows and lines and crossings out and probably woefully underscored us. But anyway, it was a fun night. Um, and that's why we missed Hey Hey. And that's, oh, that's why, is that why we're telling people about this? Yes, we missed Hey Hey because of that. So, there we go. Formula One? Are we there yet? <laughs> I haven't seen you since uh, Singapore, but we don't need to go through that again because we, we talked to you about it. But uh, you might want to tell us a little bit about some of the nightlife up there and, uh, and let's reinvestigate the Japanese Grand Prix last weekend with a few swap-arounds. In fact, it's a bit of a driver's market hearing that uh, Kubica, Kubica, Kubica. Robert Kubica. Kubica, no, without the silent T. Um, turned down 25 million US dollars to uh, race for Manor and be last on the grid. Can't figure what he's thinking there, huh? Well, he obviously wants to win it. So he's going off to Renault to replace Fernando Alonso, who finally has been confirmed at Ferrari, where we all knew he was going. So what do you think is going to happen with the Kiminus? Do you think he'll do World Rally Championships with Valentino Rossi as a co-driver? I wouldn't put it past Kimi just to decide he doesn't want to do Formula 1 anymore, particularly if he can't get what he thinks is a, a winning car. That All the chat has been about him going back to McLaren. Yeah, would he want to do but that? But apparently it's not. It's less than a done deal. Well, it would seem a strange move in the sense that, you know, he left McLaren to go to Ferrari... Under a bit of a cloud, he never got on with Ron Dennis, the former team principal of McLaren's Formula One team. But now that Ron Dennis is out of the equation there, is um, withdrawn back to the uh, high-tech factory in Woking in England to uh, oversee McLaren's road car project. Um, and check Bundy cards. Yes, there seems to be a feeling that Raikkonen would be happy to go back to McLaren under Break his new his driveway. But... Uh, <laughs> But I suspect that Kimi genuinely is debating whether he wants to continue. I mean, goodness knows, he doesn't need the money. He could take a year off and go drinking. Well, he's certainly very adept at that. He'd be fun in the bar, wouldn't he? He's great. He's he's a real hellraiser. He's um, a good time boy behind the scenes. It's just he's as boring as the day is long, you know. Whenever he goes nearer 
a Formula One race meeting, he's, he's exciting behind the wheel, of course, when he you know can be bothered, and he has been bothered lately. Um, but it will be interesting to see what he ends up doing next year. I suspect he will continue, but I wouldn't put it past him just to say, oh, I'm over this. Because the only thing he likes about Formula One racing is actually racing the car, driving the car. He doesn't like anything else about the whole scene. Whether he'd go World Rally Championship, go to the World Rally Championship, I don't know. Um, that would be a big step, just you know, such a, a big change of driving styles. Excellent reading in this uh, week's Auto Action magazine. In fact, a bumper issue at that. Um, where you actually uh, have a, a very interesting column there, mate, uh, that you've uh, you've managed to catch up with um, Greg Norman's uh, French cousin, Shark. Shark Villeneuve. He was floating around the paddock at the Singapore Grand Prix. In fact, you couldn't get rid of him. Um, <laughs> he was no, he was everywhere. Like you know, anytime you went in to see someone at a team, there was Shark uh, sitting in the hospitality area at each of the teams, you know, busily bending somebody's ear. He's uh, very keen to get back into Formula One and he's uh, he's letting everyone know about it. I mean, if you stood still long enough in the Singapore Grand Prix paddock, Jack was um, there telling you all about how much he wants to get back to Formula One, how much, you know, the the, the new rules this year and the, and the further changes next year suit his driving style, his approach to Formula 1. Don't so, give it all away Foucault. No. Viewers need to buy the magazine and they will read some interesting and quite harsh comments from you just when you think you're caning him you bring him back and give him a bit of love. I mean it's well written. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a big issue auto, auto action. I would even suggest that it would be classed as recommended reading because it's got the full Bathurst preview, which if you're listening to this or watching this actually viewers, after the, after the Bathurst 1000, well, that's probably a bit redundant, but anyway, you can see uh, We'd like to call it, call it as a companion yes. to the guide, to the bumper guide. Yeah. And there's a, even if I say so myself, I think there's a pretty interesting interview in there um, with Greg Murphy and Mark Scaife about their Bathurst adventure. Yes. That, where did you catch up with them? Was it down at the, the Cherry Tree Hotel? No, it? it was the Cherry Hotel in Richmond. No, not on this occasion. We met at the M Bar in Turak in Melbourne, oh, which no, is uh, one of Mark Scaife's regular haunts. Yes. Oh, it's not that la da it's, it's just a nice... But it's la enough for you. Oh, it is, yes. Well, I, yeah, I do have certain standards. That's right. So we met up there and uh, over a few lattes, uh, Murph, and uh, Scaifey and I um, talked it all through and um, Scaifey even has a little go at me about a column I wrote a couple of months ago. Did he? Yes. Well, he, can't, he couldn't help it, could no, he? No, he couldn't help it. So he, uh, he got his bit in, but that's fair enough. Oh, it's just like a little, it was just a little twist, wasn't it? Yeah, a little tweak of my tail. You know, I'm thinking to myself, Fogwar, that perhaps... Is this, is this a stream of consciousness? Is, yeah, yeah, that is. What this is. Well, you know, look, this whole thing is all about having a conversation, isn't it? It's mm. unstructured. All this structuring doesn't bring up much sort of sense. But perhaps the viewers would really like to be listeners in a different way. And we could go, look, we're going to give you a one-hour audio show. An audio show, believe it or not, with real listeners about... What's in each week's auto action? Not, but you'll have to read the fine details, but we could discuss each of the things. You know, it's like, we have audio books. Why couldn't there be an audio magazine? A companion product with views. Not necessarily. Auto, auto action for the deaf. <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean the blind. But just think about how people could, who work, who use heavy machinery, you know, lathe operators, and things like that, could be listening to the show during the morning. You know, during the morning work period. Why wait till lunch to be able to read the bumper issue of the magazine, which of course they could as a follow-up. In the car. AA in the car. Oh, I think I think that we're onto something at 99 cents an issue. You of, think it's got legs? I, I think Lex. Lex. Well, viewers, write in and let us know what you think. Would, would you buy for a nominal fee an audio edition of Auto Action 
or it's like every week. Off off iTunes. Let us know. For 99 cents. And 99 cents. And so when they watch it, when they listen to it, they can have a look. We're talking about like Greg Murphy's left suspension component that snapped off suddenly. And I'm not previewing anything for the weekend. Mm. And there's a picture of it on their uh, on their iPod or their iPhone. Or, the, or just in the or the um, iTunes client. They don't have to have an iPod. Feels. You could be onto something there, mate. I tell you. Well, we'll see what the viewers think. <laughs> Will they give it the big thumbs up or the big thumbs down? Send your thoughts know. to not me to JP. That's JP as in J for John P for P at Radio Hot Lamp. I mean, what's not to like? <laughs> 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 See you later, viewers. Bye.